This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. I'm David Schiffern on High Stakes. I just got Tim Stewart along with a small bird outside Tim's home office to talk about the media. It's one thing that is never short of material. Tim's a vice president in Gerard's national and academic health system practice. He's got a good eye for what's going on in the media, and he's well known around here for asking tough questions and considering root causes. Tim is not one to take things at face value. And so with Cision recently releasing their 2020 State of the Media report, what better time to talk to him about what's really going on in journalism? As always, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. So Tim, let's talk about what's next. And we're just going to go here. We'll piece it together. And I want to talk about the media. And the media. The media. Scare quotes. (laughs) No, so we were talking about a Cision survey, 2020 State of the Media, and and how PR and comms folks can it looked at how PR and comms folks can interact with the media, what what journalists are looking for, how journalists and reporters kind of think about themselves and and PR and comms. And it's just all, you know, everybody's talking about everybody and what the media is up to these days and how they're approaching and how they have kind of handled the COVID situation. And um, ultimately though we gotta like figure out what it means for our clients and for healthcare. And so you have lots of opinions. I've been known to, yes. So the short version of this survey is that the media overall feels like they're doing a pretty decent job. They do have some concerns, understandably, and obviously it's no surprise to anybody that trust in the media is low. So there's a disconnect, but it's really important that we get good information out there, especially with a you know a global pandemic and, and murder hornets and all the other joys that 2020 have brought us. We need good information so that we as a public can respond. So like just high level, like what's your take on where the media stands today as far as both how they're perceived and how they're doing? Well, I mean, first, I think it's good for uh, any podcast or anything to try and do like eight minutes of decades of American life. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm inspired by what we're going to tackle here. Um, That is the whole point of content is. Yeah, you get dilettantes to talk extemporaneously about all of the things in the culture, and then we pull it together. So the survey that you mentioned, survey that we did last week to show not a lot of trust in the media, there's there's sort of an immediate thing, and then there's the bigger trends that it illustrates. And I think that COVID has had that effect on a number of things, you know, COVID has kind of laid bare a lot of the cracks in uh, American life, when it, you know, healthcare delivery, how we consume news, how we take care of people, all everything has been sort of stripped down to its essence over the last couple of months. And so as it relates to the media, people don't trust the media. I, I, you know, whenever anyone says that, I, I would like to drill into what they think of when you say the media. Yeah, who is say, it? Right. Who is the media? Because I think, so uh, what we talked about earlier is part of this is the result of, and I, I don't think that this is controversial. It's been very successful, a, a decades long attack on journalism. And they've been very successful at delegitimizing the news media. And there were, you know, there were probably necessary correctives at the beginning of that. There were probably necessary correctives to the bias when paired with a totally different 
information landscape with the, the internet, it's, we've got kind of Tower of Babel stuff going on now. And so everyone is listening to their own thing. Everyone's speaking their own language. We, none of this is new. What I think is maybe most interesting about it and where, and where I wonder what people mean when they mean the media is that what I think should be one of the lessons that comes out of this is the necessity and immediacy of your sort of local community life. Part of everything that we've seen over the last uh, 10 years or longer has been sort of a nationalization of everything. Every, and, and it's particularly acute in the Trump era because Trump's, you know, one superpower is making everything about him. And so every, everyone's eyes are on that. But what I think we've seen over the last couple of months is that this, the, the response to this is all local. It's at the state level. It's at the city level. It's taking care of your neighbors. It's, you know, being mindful of the people in your grocery store. It's as local as it gets. And so there is that backdrop of what's going on at a national level. But it's, this is a reminder of how significant local media, local elections, local representation, all of that is in a way that I hope is longer lasting. And I doubt that it will be. Yeah. And I mean, and in a country, the geographic size of the United States, some a pandemic has to be local because the response in rural Kansas is not going to be, or the effects in rural Kansas are not going to be the same as the response or the effects in New York City. Like it is impossible to have a blanket national anything in a situation like this. Now there can be funding and there can be high level mandates and that's all well and good. But to your point, it's just, it's not like we can't. Well, and also, so as it relates to the media, we both live in major cities, around major cities. Do you live in Nashville proper? Uh, yeah, barely. Okay. So you live in Nashville. I live barely outside of Chicago, but I live in a village called Skokie and it is extremely difficult to get to get information about what local, like what the village is doing on a regular basis that, you know, 20 years ago, that was, everyone had a local newspaper. It was all being covered. It is very hard to find out what is happening in a village hall meeting or whatever they're called. You have to go to the meeting or read the minutes. Like it, it takes work in a way that I'm not interested in. And, and a lot of people aren't. And so like, that's at the, the sort of, most granular level, like what is happening around you? What is happening in your area? And, and so, yeah, no, I mean, that was, I was thinking that because right. I, that's where you get your local information. It's from your neighborhood, neighborhood Facebook page or from next door. And it's fine because it can be moment by moment. So maybe that's useful, but there's not real information. It's not, it's definitely not journalism. Uh, well, there's not experts putting it in context or putting it in a larger story. And so, yeah, right, that's necessary information. That's good local information. Do I know what the local mayor's doing? Do I know what's happening, you know, in the city hall meetings in Chicago more? Because we do have a, we do have a couple of big newspapers, but that's definitely the exception more than the norm. And so the long way around on this is that all of this work to sort of delegitimize the media and also certainly 
excesses and mistakes made by journalists themselves has created a situation where people don't have a good idea of what to do or how to do it or how things fit together in a way. And so when these, when we see these surveys and some of the conversations like, well, you know, how do, how do journalists build trust? I mean, that's a tough gig, man. The, and, and journalists are being laid off in huge numbers across the country right now. They have been for the last 10, 15 years. We as a country have not found a sustainable model to support journalism, despite the fact that we all want it. We all want good journalism. We don't want to pay for it. We figure out ways around paywalls, but we all want to consume information. That has not, that has only accelerated in the internet age. And so the business model hasn't caught up. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the, the one thing that I would say, and, and you, you, kind of reference this, but like the mistakes that journalists have made, right? There have been instances of just misrepresentations in other cases, sort of leading information, right? And and, and, and that seems, I mean, there's a bunch of people who are, who should know better and should be vetting it, but probably, you know, I, I'm willing to say there's, there are issues of sort of under-resourcing and velocity. Yeah, absolutely. You're moving fast and you don't have the multiple layers of editorial staff that like a classic old school newsroom would have. Something got through and it does happen. Yeah. And so, I mean, what's the, I guess, what's the corrective to that in the ecosystem that we live in now? Because I, I, what I'm sympathetic to is the fact that journalists, by virtue of their jobs, have to spend more time on Twitter than anyone should. And then that becomes a sort of echo chamber, no matter how well you calibrate your follows. And so you've got that element that's acting. And there's also the sort of dopamine hit of, of attention when you're like, oh yeah, how can these people in Florida, blah, blah, blah. And then you get the retweets and whatnot. How do we get more? And the we is like everyone here. So how do we today with this podcast, start a national movement towards resourcing journalism in a way that rewards good things and punishes bad things. I know it's a small ask, but I, I am sympathetic to the fact that people are moving very quickly. And also the, the resourcing that you talk about on the editorial end is one piece of it. I think that we are seeing certainly in the last you know 20 years, starting with when the advertising revenues cratered in the first wave of, of media recalibration. I think we're seeing the effects of not in not having sustained investment in expertise. And so this is a complicated, yeah, yeah, COVID yeah. is a dangerous, like complicated issue that pulls in everything, hence what we're talking about right now. And it requires a level of expertise that a lot of people don't have. Most, most people, most journalists don't have. They don't have the ability to bring in that context because they are rushing from expert to expert. And then you're more liable to just think, okay, well, that's what that doctor said. So I, I don't have a ton to push back on. I don't have a ton of threads that I can pull on here because I don't, I haven't, I've been reporting on healthcare and business and high school football. I don't, I, I think it's difficult given the resourcing and the demands of just like constant churn of getting clicks to have a level of expertise at a local level and frankly, you know, at a national level to sift through all of this. Yeah, that's exactly right. Cause you don't even, if we don't even know what the terminology is and, and we don't even know who knows what, 
then right. you, you're you're not going to get it right. I, I, I think there is an interesting opportunity for the local, right? Because if you can b develop the relationships, if the local hospital can see media, whatever remains of it in a local market, and there may not be anything left, but somebody, I mean, somebody has got to be posting on Twitter, you know, see them as an ally and a resource and not in a manipulative ally. I'm not talking journalistic standards here, but just as somebody to get information out right. there, right? Like start locally, whatever local means, start with a relationship with the person putting out information and give them good information and help them understand the context and make people available. And don't worry about what the New York times is doing or CNN or Fox or MSNBC or whoever you love or whoever you hate, just go in and get the information. Because again, to your point about the pandemic, the information that's needed is on a local, almost street by street basis. So, Right. And I mean, the other piece of it is, I, I think that we are, at, we are beginning to see, or we have seen, and I think we will continue to see over the next year, the real sort of impact and the, the lingering effects of everyone's credibility being destroyed. And so like, we are in a moment where this, you know, the pandemic doesn't care about what, what, cable news you watch or or any of that and we are desperately in need of credible voices that can communicate information across populations and I'm, I'm gonna be honest like the fact that we're in what week eight now of large large scale stay-at-home orders is shocking to me the fact that it's it's been wrestled reasonably well this long is unbelievable and but it, it's it's ending and so we'll see over the next month we'll see over the next three months this next six months the real limits of not having sort of core sources core credible sources of information that we share yes that's rosy <laughs> I do think there's so the the other end of it is that there is a real opportunity I think um, for particularly hospitals, health systems, their leadership to translate this information to the public through the local media in a way that can save lives, and and, and I think that that's where we are right now. That that that's sort of an obligation and a responsibility of local healthcare providers to make sure that they are educating not just the populace, but journalists and, and media sources and, and educating them responsibly on risks and strategies and what to be actually worried about, like massing in Costco and what not to be worried about, like getting your knee surgery. And so I, I think there's a real role in this credibility vacuum for healthcare leaders to be those sources of reliable information. Yeah. It goes to what we talk about with responsible transparency and all that. And we also know from our survey that hospitals, even hospitals, not just doctors and nurses, but like hospital entities uh, are viewed much more favorably and have uh, enjoy much higher trust from the public than do does the media. So there's an opportunity there to, to take advantage of that and use that to help people, both society and, and journalists but that's but, also that's a short term fix. That's a band aid. It is. And, it's. It's. I mean, we would be better off with a strong, well funded, well well connected independent media. That's not where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, and so like for 
practical purposes, it's it's not where we are, and we've been getting further and further away from it. To your point earlier, so we like we've got to do some to some extent. We've got to have some band aids. I guess the other thing, though, this is an awkward pivot, but in that in the in the decision survey that we were looking at, uh, and we talked about this during our our larger staff meeting, there was this thing about how like you know when asked what types of stories they want to be pitched and what information hospitals can give them. They say, you know, give us the the human interest stuff, the feel good stuff, the happy things, I mean, a strong paraphrase there, but uh, you know, basically like give us some, some positive stuff to report on. But then the response that, that we heard was, yeah, the, the questions that are being asked and the way that we're being treated, we being the hospitals and the healthcare providers mm-hmm. is much more aggressive and not, you know, like demanding information now, even as journalists are saying, Hey, we, you know, we, we want to be viewed as people and yet they're demanding information from hospital administrators who are trying to save lives. And, you know, they go after these stories that are not positive, even though they're saying, Oh, we want to, you know, we want to show the human interest stories and they go and go after. So like, and that's fine. Like there is a response, there is a role for investigative journalism and asking hard questions. And, and, you know, again, there's a, there's a balance here, but like, it is also understandable that that the sources, in this case the hospitals, would get a little defensive when when approached by a reporter, because especially in the situation where there is so much material to be had, and you also see so many reporters who have not traditionally been in healthcare trying to cover a pandemic, because that's all there is right now, it's sort of accentuated that like everybody's looking for the scoop. Well, but then isn't that an opportunity for us to do, you know, some of our media relations tips and tricks and what I mean, that does like if that seems like an opportunity to me to tell them to to answer the sort of investigative push that they're giving and also give more context. So, okay, you're asking about uh, how much PPE we have. Well, here's why we're not getting into that or here's why we are and here's how we use PPE and here are three other things that I think you might want to be knowing that you might want to know about how we've been attacking COVID and that, you know, that are probably relevant to your readers or viewers. And they're probably relevant to all of us as we think about what the way forward looks like. And so I, I, I'm sympathetic and, and totally understand the defensiveness from hospitals and health systems who have been working round the clock for, for two months on this. And, 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 you know, we know firsthand that this is not how anyone wanted to be spending their time. And so I, I am sympathetic to the fact that they feel like they are seeing um, an unprecedented event in their careers and the lives of their hospital and the caregivers in it. But uh, I, I, I just think it's an opportunity. I think if, if people are coming at you trying to get you on PPE or on how many providers have gotten sick or you know how you're staffing nurses, all of that feels to me like an opportunity to educate the media and the public on the steps we're going to take, because this isn't ending anytime soon. And so there's the other piece of the responsibility and the opportunity is it's going to be incumbent on hospitals to educate their local constituents on how they will continue battling COVID over the next year, 18 months, whenever a vaccine comes. And also you need to get your heart checked and you need to be able to come in and feel peace of mind that you're not 
going to be more susceptible to COVID by coming to the hospital or by coming to your doctor's office because we're doing X, Y, and Z to make sure that everyone's safe. That That's going to be a long-term educational campaign that has to run adjacent to and in, in collaboration with local media. And so if you're getting defensive, like defensiveness doesn't, it's not productive. It's an understandable response is what you're saying, but it doesn't, it doesn't get anybody anywhere. Like if somebody's coming after you, it's sort of the control what you can control and offer better information. And yeah, it's hard. Yeah, and maybe and, it's and not in different ideal. Times, but... Maybe you say like, all right, well, just don't talk to them. But I, I don't, I think that that's, I, I think that's in, not to get too high in my eye, but it's ethically fraught right now. And so we've got to make do with what we have. We have to make do with the local media sources we have. We have to make do with the national media. We have to, in the role of healthcare providers, get appropriate, responsible information to as many people as possible and continue doing that um, for the next 18 months. And and beyond because we have to continue to well, educate. Yeah, ideally. Yeah, ideally. well, because we have to continue to educate everybody about how healthcare works and how it's changing. And so maybe there is, to your point, I mean, get your heart checked and maybe there's an opportunity to talk about how the quote unquote business of healthcare works. And so some of the concerns that we've been seeing around different practices from hospitals, like there's just a lot of minutia that, that can be talked about. So why not? And there's, I mean, it's a moment where sort of the best intentions of journalists and the best intentions of people who run hospitals are in sync is getting responsible information to the most people as possible. So, you know, if that's bias, it's the best kind right now, because this is the, this is the biggest story that anyone wants to talk about. And you as a, a hospital have the opportunity to get that information to as many patients as possible by building better relationships with your local media and giving them a little wider berth to ask rude questions. I don't, I just don't think you have the luxury of being defensive right now. Anybody uh, that you can talk about who's doing this really well right now? No, I mean, I think we've seen a lot of, I think we've seen a lot of our clients who are rising to the moment and, and are viewing this through the best intention lens. I do think we're entering a new phase of this. And so I, I think as we've seen, most of our efforts have been really focused internally and in making sure that our our team members and our physicians and nurses feel safe and provided for. And the, the sort of public facing information has been part of it, but has been secondary to making sure that we're keeping everything, you know, as safe as possible within our walls. As this sort of stretches out into a longer burn as, as COVID kind of thrums in the background of everything we do. And we start to tentatively and from six feet apart, go out into the world. I do think we're, we need to be pivoting to a more public facing approach as, as hospitals and health systems in, in communicating to our patients. So I, I, I think this is the moment to start to turn that gaze more outward than perhaps we have over the last couple of months as, as we've been sort of in survival mode a lot of places. 